my name's Tori and I wish I knew more about blood products. Hi, my name's Letitia. I wish I knew more about taking care of myself when starting shift work. Hi, my name is Lydia. I wish I would know more about how to work as in a team and solve conflict. Hello, welcome to Five Things, the nursing podcast from the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. My name is Liz Crow. I'm Jesse Spur, and this is a podcast by, for, and with the amazing nurses and health professionals in our corner of the world. We hope to connect with a global community as we move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Five Things. Hello, I'm Liz Crow. And I'm Jesse Spur. And today we're going to talk about early nursing leadership with Ryan Mannion, who is the Nurse Unit Manager for Haematology and Transplant Unit here at the Royal. Now, I met Ryan. She's going to be embarrassed for me to say this. I'm very early when I started here and she's a real superstar. She was a nurse unit, acting nurse unit manager at the age of 24. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> Raya's already embarrassed. But I think it's really important and that's definitely – what, part of what, other than the fact that you're really articulate and quite an exceptional human being, that's part of why we've asked you to do this topic because it's an, it's an uncomfortable one. We're, we work in an industry or in a profession that's, that's historically been quite hierarchical and a longevity-based promotion model. And we're moving to a point of necessity of having to move towards more talent identification and expedited development of our future leaders in that space. So... It's not just to pump up your tyres. I think it is really relevant to the conversation that we're going to have. So we're going to start off by just finding out a little bit about you and how you kind of found yourself on this fast track to nursing leadership. Yeah, well, thank you guys and thank you for having me. So I guess I started my nursing career about eight years ago now. Started in a ward environment where... um, you know, I was working sort of as a ward nurse um, and I was promoted to a clinical nurse, which is, I guess, like the next uh, level up within sort of the registered nurse space about a year and a half into nursing. Um, and I think the reason that I first went for that position was maybe less about, uh, you know, wanting to be a leader, but more wanting to, I guess, influence systems and processes and look at the ways we could maybe do things better within the unit that I was working in and it was sort of like a natural step from that point of view so the leadership side of it maybe wasn't necessarily completely on my radar it was more how do I you know like take on a little bit more responsibility and then yeah from there uh, went I yeah acted as a nurse unit manager for a period of time and then did a few other different Uh, roles uh, here at the Royal. So I've worked as the nurse manager for workforce within internal medicine and I have uh, worked as the medical bed manager, the after hour nurse manager, um, which sort of has covered sort of all of the general hospital in the women's side too. And then in the most recent probably three years, I've worked solidly as a nurse unit manager. So for different areas within the hospital, but um, currently, yeah, in the haematology hemato- and bone marrow transplant unit. And you haven't just rested on your laurels and sort of thought, you know, I'm, I'm on a fast track. You've been really developing yourself as well. So what sort of things have you been doing study-wise and externally to, to kind of improve your skills in this area? 
So I guess there's been various different um, components of, you know, like additional study or self-development along the way. Um, Each time I've sort of stepped into a new role, there's been like a whole new component to learn, um, be it clinically or uh, more administratively in some of the roles I've been a part of. But from a tertiary education point of view, I'm about two thirds of the way through an MBA. And the MBA uh, is sort of giving me the, the management leadership influence skills needed to sort of be effective in that space, but also the business acumen, finance, economics, strategy, policy, um, you know, data analytics, all sorts of things. So I'm curious to understand whether or not this was always your goal, right, from being a nursing student to progress your career quickly and to move into a more of a leadership role, or if this is something uh, really haphazard that has just happened along the way. Yeah, no, look, definitely the latter. um, And it leads perfectly into my first reason. So don't stop learning. Uh, And yeah, I was completely influenced in sort of like all of the career decisions I've made from the point of just wanting to learn something new or uh, I had identified uh, something that I thought could be done better and therefore wanted to be part of that process. So it was never about uh, like a status or role type move, maneuver, um, but really just about having a desire to learn. Um, and, you know, aligning my passions with some sort of professional purpose along the way. So I I think it's useful to kind of break it down because we're talking about early career development and leadership as two distinct things. Your points don't stop learning. Some of that's – the architecture for that's already there when we start as a new grad. So you've got your transition programs in different areas, um, whatever your hospital or health service works with. Then there's that awkward – adjustment phase after that and I call it the end of the learning package phase where the educator stops giving you stuff and telling you or the organization stops giving you stuff and saying this is what you've got to do and you go oh I've got to become somewhat self-directed what did that bit look like for you so you finished your sort of new grad that basic competency adjustment sort of phase how'd you go what do I do next yeah so I I guess I probably did what a lot of people um, do, which is just sort of feel a little bit lost and spend some time just going, I don't know really where I'm supposed to direct myself from here. Because it's true, you spend, you go to high school, you go to university, and then you step out into a new grad role and you're guided from an education point of view the entire way. And so I guess in that period before I then had made like a decision to uh, take on some further tertiary education, I was probably mostly interested in educating myself or developing myself um, in things that were relevant to the parts of the role that I enjoyed for whatever role that might have been that I was I was active in at the time. Um, and be that like when I was clinical on the floor or it could be just doing some sort of, you know, casual research or reading on a on a specific illness or a specific treatment or you know sort of reflecting on situations that happened within the workplace and going or or wondering where I could improve my understanding or knowledge on a, a certain thing so yeah it was definitely probably a lot more of like a casual approach in the first instance but fueled by a constant desire to want to improve my understanding of things and that you know 
very, very naturally led me sort of away more from clinical work and into more managerial work. And then when I found myself in those roles, it was about making sure that I had the the depth of understanding necessary to be able to be effective in them, which was the MBA. You know, I'm really curious about this. Um, Todd Cashton is a professor of psychology over in the United States and he's done a lot of research around curiosity. And I think one of the things we're hearing globally from healthcare professionals is that they're just fatigued and they're exhausted. And, you know, I remember being a new grad, like, you're like, did I go to that lecture? Did I read this before? You know, it can feel exhausting, but he's done some really interesting research to say that remaining really curious and learning is so good for your well-being, and that it can be energizing. And I think there's a kind of narrative around at the moment that when you finish and you feel uncertain and unsettled, the best thing you can do is completely disconnect from it. But I guess what you're saying is, you know, it is that keep asking, keep searching, because that can be energizing as well as kind of giving you a sense of autonomy around your own career and, you know, what you want to do with it next, be that purely clinical or something else. Absolutely. And if I think about the times that I've felt, you know, that I lacked in confidence most, it's when I feel like I don't understand what's going on or there could be an improvement in my understanding of a certain situation. And so, you know, you've got the opportunity to use that as an opportunity to um, develop yourself or run away scared of it. And, um, yeah, it's probably not been a deliberate sort of thought process, but, yeah, I think being curious is is, is the main point. Hmm. You almost universally, our guests almost attributed their career path to happy accidents, but I think there's more to it than that. I guess there's a way of actually looking at breaking that down like you said we've you've got that self uh, that directed self-learning period of all through university study to that that introduction to the workforce then you've got that transition to self-directed learning and if you're if you're naturally curious that kind of i think becomes a career accelerant that's then that's an observation i've got about a lot of our guests um, because we've chosen them or they've been recommended to us because they're really, really good at what they do. Mm. Um, so that there's a natural curiosity. I guess in the absence of that, if people – and in the fatigue of that kind of too tired to wonder yeah. space that we're in, it can be really helpful to actually be more deliberate with that and go, I've got to create a little bit of a curriculum for myself or just go, actually, what are, what are the top five clinical – presentations that we see in our area we've got a podcast on diabetes coming up nearly 30 percent of the patients admitted in the hospital have diabetes how much do i know about diabetes those sort of things have create that curriculum if you're missing it just listen to all our podcasts and go deeper on stuff that you find interesting and just park the other stuff but i think that point that that's genuinely in my experience and it sounds like in yours the most awkward point in your self-development because once you get into those more individualized and specific roles like leadership management education you've kind of got a pathway there of a whole heap of stuff that you've got to refocus on your education as well i'm really conscious we have a lot of our listeners going ain't nobody got time for that yeah (laughs) yeah well i know you know i think we don't talk enough about education and learning like i'm old i've been in my career which is still constantly changing and developing but I spend thousands on my PD, mm. professional development, every year, thousands. And I'm 
constantly looking outside of health and, you know, yeah. I think it just helps. I think this takes us actually beautifully to your second point, which is be agile. Yes, be agile. Um, and I agree. I think, you know, as much as it is about being accountable to uh, creating learning opportunities for yourself, it's also about embracing discomfort with that and that the only way you're going to remain stimulated is by challenging yourself. You know, a fear of stepping outside of your comfort zone will lead to dissatisfaction in the long run. Agility and just comfort with that process is for me. So lots of people would say, okay, you're 20, 24 when you do your first acting num role. You know, what is your internal voice? What's your imposter syndrome? Like, how do you stay agile, like, and, and control that kind of little voice in the back of your head? Because I would have been going, I'm going to get eaten alive. That's <laughs> honestly what would have been in my head. I wasn't even nursing when I was 24. Mm. No, absolutely. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes you do get eaten alive. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think that I think that something that's always been helpful for me is to view other people's reactions critically. You know, if someone's coming to you with an assumption about whether or not you're fit or unfit for a role, it's an opportunity for you to sort of work with them and, you know, show them that you are the right person or you are the right fit or, you know, that you're open to their input um, and that you value them as part of a process. Um, and that for me has been the most helpful sort of, I guess, uh, skill to, to harness, work against maybe those unconscious biases that people have. Well, maybe they are conscious, I'm not sure. but <laughs> yeah. And that's part of your agility, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I, I really like that point because it's something that um, more senior and experienced as people get up towards that executive leadership, less people start telling them they're wrong about things as well. And, that, and I, people that have got good insight really struggle with that and seek it out, seek out that critical friend. So there's a period of that acid test being applied. You can either crumble and just go into your sort of avoidance of that and and not put yourself forward for those opportunities but it's actually can be really really formative definitely it's such a humbling experience I think to be challenged and questioned and to get feedback and I totally agree uh, the more senior you become the less and less you receive it I just you know whenever I've received feedback over you know the years I've been working I have just tried to be really open to it. So your number three point is communication. What role do you think communication has played in, in having an early nursing leadership role? Huge, a huge role. Um, <laughs> I think if you if you think about nursing, you, you just from the get-go, from st stepping out of nursing school, out of university, you are communicating with patients, with uh, your team members with the multidisciplinary team. Um, communication is the most important skill to uh, develop um, when you're working in an environment with, you know, so many different people that's highly complex. And because you're dealing with people from different cultures, with different values, different beliefs, you're constantly having to sort of involve and collaborate with more and more people to come to a, you know, a decision or, an, or, or find an outcome that actually works for, you know, the majority of people. And it's different every single time. There's no one size fits all, 
you know, a, approach that would be effective in healthcare? It's something we can stay very comfortably at quite a superficial level. Really interested in hearing, is there stuff that you've done specifically to get better at it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I'm i very reflective, so almost sometimes probably to my detriment, <laughs> but I will analyse situations. And, and I think it's normally something that occurs more out of negative situations than positives, where you have a, a bad interaction or, you know, an interaction that you think could go better and you go home and think about it and, oh, what could I have done or why did this person respond to me like this and what's the other side of this story or another perspective that's not mine that I'm not considering. And out of that comes, I guess, like an opportunity to just improve the way you approach things like later, later on. I think one of the things that I've admired about you is you're extremely calm, you know, beyond your years. You're not reactionary. You always do pause and think very carefully before you speak. And I think, you know, the point you made, Jesse, is a, is a really important one. If I had to think if there was a single skill that I still work on myself very hard, it is still communication. There is no end point to really learning about you know, how do you communicate when you're under pressure? How do you respond when someone's giving you negative feedback about your ward or you or, you know, because our, our first instinct just from an evolutionary process is to defend ourselves. And it's only when you move from that space that actually you can learn something, hear something different. And maybe you will come to a conclusion that the person is wrong, but your response to it rather than defence, you know, be it curiosity just to you know, uh, to understand, I guess, really allows, you know, a chance for the interaction to still go okay, even if you're disagreeing. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really important to the moment you're feeling defensive, just hit pause and go and think about it a little bit more, have a drink of water. If you've got the time, sleep on it. There's no need, we've got urgency culture, uh, you know, as something that we sort of live with all of the time where, you know, it's becoming normalised that information is responded to instantly. But, yeah, I think to have truly considered communication that's effective, um, it has to come from a place that's rational and logical um, and, you know, may still have like an emotive element to it in the sense that it's something that means a lot to you, but it's not coming out of a reactive emotive response. Hmm. So I, I think it's what I'm sort of getting there. And I'm obviously sitting with two people who are quite articulate. There's, uh, you, you guys are both excellent at expressive communication where most of us need to do the hard work is in the receptive communication thing. So even breaking it down as simplistically as that to start thinking about what can I get better at and then the different types of listening and that diagnosis of what sort of listener am I? Am I looking listening so that I can solve a problem? Is that my natural bent? Um, and friends of ours, um, Ben Simon and colleagues, did a really nice um, Harvard Business Review article about this, which we will link in the show notes as well. Because, um, yeah, I don't think we do as much. We, we try and get better at the speaking bit. And most of us, once we've got to a middle management or a leadership role, that's kind of a natural attribute that's just sort of self-selected anyway. And the bit that we go on and have trouble with is the receptive bit. And that's when, if we're analysing the 
conversations or the communication encounters that have gone poorly, that's what we'll often get to. Mm. Um, I think one of my favourite quotes, I think it's a Stephen Covey quote that says, most of us listen to respond rather than to understand. And when you're listening to respond, you're you're already formulating your argument or where you're saying you, you, you lose sort of the... 50% of what the person's saying to you. And then the Dalai Lama always says, every time you speak, you learn nothing. And uh, I also like that. Yeah, you've missed the point. Mm. All right. So your number four, you know, around early nursing leadership is you've got to be a team player. Isn't this intuitive? Like what does, what does that mean um, in relation to early nursing leadership? So I guess in nursing, you're always going to be working with a big team of people, um, peripherally or directly. Um, and to do that effectively, you need to be genuinely compassionate towards your colleagues. Um, you need to show genuine interest in the people around you um, and value their contributions to whatever's going on. Um, you can't, you know, accurately diagnose a problem or get to the bottom of anything without considering all of the elements that are influenced by people other than yourself and so taking the time to like Jesse said listen um, and you know take people along on the journey with you and make sure that you know they are feeling fulfilled and part of that process is the only way to you know strive for com commitment over compliance people aren't just doing what they need to do because someone said so but they're committed to the process because they're engaged it means a lot to them they feel valued in it and I've always noticed that you really lead from a multidisciplinary perspective you don't hesitate to bring in other people um, is part of being a good leader being able to know what you what skills you do and don't have and then finding people with the complement of skills elsewhere Absolutely. Um, no one can be good at everything. And I think that, you know, I really see my role as a facilitator of just bringing people together um, where, you know, if I don't have the answers to something, I know how to find someone that does and to, you know, attempt to engage them to help solve a problem. And I think it's important to remember that when working in a multidisciplinary team, everyone's coming with a different perspective to that sort of engagement. Priorities for nurses are a lot of the time different to the priorities of allied health and medical staff and having an understanding of that means that everyone feels valued in their process to come together and work well. So when you're an early, you know, you're a numb at such an early age, um, one of the things I've admired about you is you've never pretended to know everything. You know, like you, you – had this um, quiet presence, I guess, where it's very clear that you're leading, but you have no need to kind of pretend that you're across it all, all the time. How did you kind of find that wisdom? I guess probably through putting myself in positions where I wasn't the expert. And so, you know, when you enter a new work environment that you're a clinical novice in, but you're there to be an engaging leader, um, it's important to value the expertise of the team that you're leading and really champion them in that process. And so as I've entered sort of, you know, the last two units that I've worked in, they've been completely different specialties um, and areas that I haven't worked clinically in prior to entering as a, as a manager. 
it would be silly of me to think that I could enter a work environment and know more than the experts um, that are already part of that team. Yeah, I think the other thing that I've reflected on is a lot of when you were saying the roles that you'd done, there's been a lot of zooming out and then zooming in and zooming out and zooming in. So like bed management roles that are more that are so system oriented and with those you gather a lot of a lot more social ca- capital and networks and knowing who's who in the zoo and then zooming back in and being kind of at the smaller team and then zooming back out again and I think there's a real benefit to doing that um one staying curious in all of those different elements that you're doing that but developing um those broader um broader but then smaller and deeper connections of teams so team becomes a very different construct to when you're just working in that small place of like 30 beds that you've been working in for 10 years your team has much firmer boundaries than when you've when you've done that zooming out and zooming in, I think there's a real benefit to to that. That's maybe historically would have been looked at poorly in looking at a CV and going, oh, this person's worked here, there, and everywhere. They're just just trying to furnish their res- their stat padding um, versus the there is a real tangible benefit to doing that. I could not agree more. I think um, the you know the way my views have changed over time just shows that getting outside and doing different things allows you to grow. Um, And the majority of conflict that I think that you come across is where there is a lack of understanding of different roles and different, you know, responsibilities Um, because of the siloed nature of what we do. You're sort of a bit forced tunnel visioned from the point where you just in an environment and unless you step outside of that, you don't understand the the pressures of, you know, another environment. And so that's exactly right, Jesse. I think um, having that zoom in, zoom out approach to more organisational type roles versus more, you know, uh, focusing on the, the operations of a particular work unit um, but then still having that past experience from or past organisational experience that allows me to understand where my work unit fits in the big picture has been really, really helpful. Yeah. Hmm. So your final point, your number five, is mentorship. Uh, what role has this played for you uh, in, in the course of leadership? And I, think, I think it's played a huge role. Over my career, um, there have been, you know, several different mentors along the way. Initially, it was probably not an identified uh, mentorship type relationship where it was more someone that I had connected with um, or clicked with that I'd just go to for advice or talk with about different things. Um, And then I think as I got a little bit older and wiser and did some formal study that said this is a really important thing. <laughs> um, you know, I would I, I now engage people from the point where it's clear that I'm looking for, a, you know, a, a mentorship-type relationship. And I think the importance of mentorship is how it not only just supports your professional development but also your personal development. They can be an invaluable source of knowledge and, and experience that – you know, you you can sort of learn from without having to step through yourself at times. And I think that, you know, especially when your mentor is not necessarily a direct line manager or someone that has 
you know, a bias associated with the advice that they're giving you. They're external to your work environment, but they're still someone you admire or look up to. Um, they can give you really honest feedback. What I'm picking up on there is is they've got less to gain. Like they're not looking to gain something from from that relationship other than uh, supporting you. So there's that's quite a that's quite a unique relationship to have within, especially when you get into a, a competitive space such as leadership within systems where there's a lot of people tr- like trying to hold their piece of turf and like not at the Royal Brisbane of course that's that's what happens other places but I, I think that what what you what I'm hearing you get to is there's kind of that purity of the feedback that you get because it's genuinely in the interest of your development rather than in the interest of the ego or something else of the of the mentor yeah exactly yeah. and so have you stuck within nursing for that like have you ventured outside of nursing in terms of that mentorship uh, when you feel like there's a deficit or something that you're, you know, like one of my brothers is a CEO of a mining company. You know, we have very different values and philosophies, but every now and then there is something that I think I need someone to take a very pragmatic external approach. And so I give him a call. You how, know. how do I become a millionaire? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I know that's never going to happen. Don't even can bother. You tell us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't work in health. <laughs> but you know, do you do you step outside of the health industry for that? Definitely. There's been a lot of nursing mentors along the way. There's been allied health mentors along the way, or members of the multidisciplinary team. But you know, I have I have different relationships in my personal life. Um, be it you know my father or um, someone else that I know and that's successful from a maybe a business and leadership point of view and it's nice to sometimes go to them for just some really blanket advice that's not influenced by direct experience in the problem but it's funny how often it actually really just applies Mm. and I think through completing an MBA I have developed a network of people that's cross-industry which has been invaluable uh, to just bounce ideas off and um, learn from and grow and develop, you know, in a way that I otherwise wouldn't have had exposure to any of these people. So it's been hugely, hugely helpful from that point as well. That must be really interesting of actually having some problems centred in, say, discussion boards or whatever the the group elements of your study are and having all these people from different industrial pers- perspectives coming at the same problem and seeing how different it is or, like, as you said, how similar it can be to tackle a problem that's got nothing to do with health. Is there something that jumps out? Like, is there, a, is there an experience from your MBA? I'm just conscious of this because it has some te- some kind of stringy links to the mentorship we were talking about. But uh, is there something during that experience that jumps out where you've gone, that was really interesting sort of experience of coming at a problem? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, In a a previous um, term of study uh, for one of my subjects, there was, you know, an opportunity to sort of review the strategic plan of uh, an organisation and there were, you know... ASX listed companies and then there was a huge health service within Australia and um, naturally I picked the health service in Australia but within my sort of group we came at it um, with all different background experiences myself as a you know health practitioner 
Uh, there was an accountant in the group. There's a CEO of a, you know, different business in the, in the group as well. And having all of those different lenses applied to, uh, you know, the, the strategy of this business that we were sort of uh, critically appraising and the, you know, the things that stood out to us as good things or bad things and how that applied to the different methodologies we had been learning about throughout the term was super, super insightful and interesting and, you know, definitely left me walking away with, um, you know, some things to consider that I probably otherwise wouldn't have. Hmm. Which I think that was the tenuous link I was drawing with mentorship is that's the perfect role of a mentor is helping you realise things that you didn't know you didn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. A bit disingenuous not to address the fact that some of this kind of early career acceleration does come with trade-offs, um, not necessarily costs, but trade-offs. Are there, what, what sort of sacrifices and trade-offs have you made in this pursuit of not stopping learning? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, it's hard. Like I couldn't tell you the last time I watched a Netflix series. Um, there are certain social engagements that I've had to, you know, miss out on or not attend for the same amount of time that I otherwise would have. Um, but I think that this is why it's so important to pursue genuine interests um, because if you're getting legitimate satisfaction out of the process, it makes it so much easier to make those sacrifices and decisions to stay motivated and just also be a kind and happy human throughout the process. You know, when you see people that are working really hard and then are bitter and twisted, it's probably partly stress but also maybe they're making sacrifices that they're not comfortable making um, because they haven't got the balance right. Yeah. It strikes me like it's, it's a tricky juggle, isn't it? Because it's a time in your life when that most of the narrative and most of what you're seeing around you is get out and live and have fun and those things. But then it's also a time in, the lot in your life that you're often less encumbered by other things like family responsibilities, like money, um, like th those sorts of things. So I really like that idea of it being trade-offs, not necessarily a sacrifice. And that makes that distinction of you're not doing it and grinding bitterly away <laughs> with the dusty books in like the basement you're doing, you're focusing on things that you find interesting and it, enjoying the process, yeah. um, but it's a trade-off that comes Absolutely. at the expense of something else. Absolutely. And I think you then have a higher appreciation for, you know, all of the fun parts of life that aren't necessarily, you know, work-related or study-related, but it makes all of those times that you're spending with the people you care about or doing for pure pleasure you know, more meaningful. All right, so I'm going to have a go at summarising all of this. So five things that we need to consider for early nursing leadership. Number one is don't ever stop learning and that's formal learning as well as curiosity and informal learning. So anything that you think, I need to know more about that or this, this is a deficit for me or this is a gap, go after it in a way that fits with your lifestyle and um, it's something that you're going to actually enjoy and that can be energising. Number two is you constantly have to be agile and that you were saying that for you a lot of that growth has come out of sitting and being uncomfortable. It wasn't like you went, yeah, this is my this is my thing and I'm just going to walk straight into it. You had to think like, okay, what do I have to bring to this and you know, how do I say this is what I do know and this is what I don't know and how do I remain agile 
within the system and, and maximise opportunities for growth and development. Number three was communication and it communication comes up in nearly every single one of these podcasts. It sits at the absolute core of everything we do, not just professionally but personally. And again, this it's a skill. Speaking is a skill, listening is a skill, you know, all of these levels of communication are worth really investing in, understanding and getting better at. Number four is, you know, health is a big beast with lots of players and if you want to be in a leadership role, you've got to be a team player and that you've also got to be big enough to sit back and think not everyone has the same perspective or the same understanding or the same values or the same need as I do and I need to invest in all of those teams and be incredibly respectful of what they bring. And your number five was the importance of mentorship. And this can be formal or informal or long have a longevity about it or be very incidental in that we should be looking at all times, uh, not just locally, but within our whole broader network about who can help us uh, grow and develop to be, you know, bigger, better, different uh, than our current selves. How did I go? Yeah, spot on, Liz. <laughs> right, really appreciate you coming in um, and talking with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Raya.